moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, February 2nd, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 326 and 327. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree to take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of two big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo! We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. We've got a quintet of House Republicans. Matt Gates, Anna Paulina Luna, Eli Crane, Troy Nels, and Bob Good will all be here. We'll also be joined by North Carolina 1's congressional candidate, Sandy Smith. It's been a busy week, and we're going to take a look at a lot of headlines today. Articles of impeachment have finally cleared committee for DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. We'll bring you the latest on the vote. Donald Trump met with the Teamsters this week. Might not get the endorsement from the brass, but what does it mean for the workforce? We'll analyze. It was a busy week up on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C. We'll bring you the latest with the Biden administration, and we'll take... A big, long look at what's going on on the presidential election on the campaign trail. But before we get into any of our headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and the Rayburn Building and allow you to change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron. Noah's here as well. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And we're going to be up on Capitol Hill for an overwhelming majority of both episodes today, and we're starting off with the man who's representing Florida One, one of our favorite firebrands, Mr. Matt Gates. Welcome back to the show. Good to be back with you guys. Man, it's been a while. Selling in some Twitter spaces, and uh, here we are back on the show. Our listenership's really going to enjoy this, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about because you guys have had a busy week. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a pretty crappy week, to be honest with you. We passed this nonsense welfare bill that masqueraded as a tax bill, where now, without even a social security number, with just a tax ID number, you're going to have all these illegals qualifying for the child tax credit. And it was a corrupt deal. I'll just be straight with you. Here's what happened. The Republicans were willing to give the Democrats all of the illegal alien welfare that the Democrats wanted in exchange for the Democrats voting for all the corporate welfare for the big businesses that the Republicans wanted. And at the end of the day, this legislation passed with 357 votes. There were 188 Democrats who voted for it, 169 Republicans. So here we have a Republican majority and we're passing a principally a Democrat bill to give more welfare to illegal aliens. How does that make you feel about the week? Sure, it makes our listenership feel absolutely awesome. Us as well. Ralph Norman said a lot of the same things when he joined us on our Tuesday edition of the show. I'm only assuming, since I've seen him on the news a couple times this week, Representative Bob Good will be saying the same things in our next edition of the podcast as well. But here's the thing. Every time we see somebody from the Republican conference out on the news this week, they do allude to a lot of those illegal welfare-based things that are interwoven into this tax bill. But at the same time, they say, but there's some good stuff in there. Is there really? Yeah. If there is, can you tell well, our listenership what it is? Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, so as a Florida man, I am very sympathetic to the people who 
have to go through all these natural disasters. Then sometimes they get insurance proceeds or government proceeds in order to rebuild their lives after a disaster. The tax treatment of some of those proceeds is going to be better as a consequence of this bill. My colleague, Greg Stubbe of Florida, worked to ensure that that was the case. So uh, you know, is that helpful? Yes. Uh, is the business expensing helpful uh, for small businesses to have a little bit less paperwork and be able to get uh, more of that revenue in their in their coffers, sure. But we could have done those things as discrete single subject bills. But what happens is they mush everything together and then you have to vote against some stuff that you like because it's kind of good because it carries with it the shit train of some massive welfare payout to illegal aliens. Yeah, that's the truth right there. And then when you, if you, we kind of want to stay in, in money related things before we jump into anything like the border, Congressman. So we're a little over a month away before this CR expires. We, we understand we've kind of conditioned our listenership. You know, we've talked to you in Twitter space. We, we've followed this with a lot of people who actually care about changing what's going on on Capitol Hill the same way the government's been funded essentially for decades. And we knew it wasn't going to change in, in 150 days with Mike Johnson overnight with the flip of a light switch, just based off of the way some of the votes go. And we're not talking about it. It's some of the American First delegation, members of the Freedom Caucus, etc. It's the 100 people that always side with the Democrats every time there's a continuing resolution on the floor. So looking ahead, what are some of the things that you're looking to get done between now and then to whether or not we get another CR, a long-term CR, and how are we setting ourselves up just based off of the appropriations you guys worked on this year to hit the ground running in the next session of Congress to make sure that we're not waiting till like a month before Christmas break to start working on appropriations? It is the operative question. And you know, right now, we are in a circumstance where some of the single subject bills that we've passed, for example, on the Department of State and Foreign Operations, they're really good bills because they have deep cuts to a lot of the wasteful spending that functioned as having America serve as the world's police force and the world's piggy bank. We're right. against that. So we've got some of those bills that are good, but there are other of the single subject spending bills where we can't get the votes for the programmatic change and the cuts because, like you said, we have scores of Republicans who go join with the Democrats. I'll give you a few examples. Like we had in our in our military funding bill, we we did good getting the drag shows out, getting the critical race theory out. But I want the whole umbrella of DEI cleaved away from the military. I just want the military to be a place where we focus on capability, survivability, lethality, effectiveness. And we don't get into building social justice warriors. So there was an amendment I offered to get rid of all DEI in the military. And we had eight Republicans kill that amendment and go over and vote with the Democrats, including Mike Turner of Ohio, Don Bacon of Nebraska. Yep. Uh, we, we also had amendments to Eli Crane, my man Eli Crane. He introduced an amendment to say that we should cut in half the amount of money that we give to USAID. Now, for those listeners not familiar, USAID is basically a venture capital entity that you, the American taxpayer, fund to spread out to businesses around the world. Like they're funding gay pride parades in Prague. They are funding transgendered female makeup artists in Southeast Asia. That's a real thing, not a joke. And Eli Crane said, tell you what, we're 30 $4 trillion in debt. Let's take that fund and cut it in half. 
we lost overwhelmingly on that amendment. So I am not optimistic that spending cuts are coming, not because we haven't forced a system to try to demand votes on those questions. It's just because we don't have the votes. Like yeah. We had a four-seat majority under McCarthy. Then McCarthy took his marbles and went home. We errantly kicked out Santos. Bill Johnson, a congressman from Ohio, went and became a university president. And at any given day, we've got people in cancer treatment, in surgeries. And so there are days when Mike Johnson can barely even open the floor without our party being in the minority. And so I'm not optimistic about spending cuts. So here's where the question is, where's my focus right now? It is to stop us from binding together aid for Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan in one big giveaway to the defense industrial complex. Like, look, there are probably good arguments to be made about how people think we can be helpful without going into some you know, crazy war with Russia or China or involving ourselves in decades more conflict in the Middle East. But when you lump all those things together, that's what the swamp wants. That's what the uniparty wants. So each and every day, I am making demands of my colleagues on the Rules Committee, the Appropriations Committee, uh, even members of the leadership to say, we have to separate these questions. However you feel about Taiwan and Israel and Ukraine, they deserve their own review, their own dignity, and their own vote. So you must have been absolutely thrilled this morning when you saw uh, Valhart Newman was out in Ukraine this week telling uh, Vladimir Zelensky that she's got some big surprises for Putin on the battlefield, and that only sounds like American tax dollars to me. Well, it also sounds like a real risk of escalation and accident, right? I mean, it's not just money that's at risk in Ukraine. Russia is a nuclear power that has enough weapons to destroy the globe 10 times over. Correct. And we're going to go and and risk, God forbid, some accident. God forbid just some crazy Russian general launches some munition that, it, that goes into a place where we have Americans or service members. I... I I'm so concerned about that in that part of the world. It's a real tinderbox. And what are we trying to win? Like, explain to me what our actual goals are in Ukraine. Is it, it, do we have to win back the Donbas region? Is it, do Russian speaking provinces in Eastern Ukraine that before the war, the Ukrainians literally called the ungoverned region? Right. That's what they call it. So we have to repatriate that Crimea where they had an election where overwhelmingly the people wanted to be Russian. I know we don't, we don't, we don't acknowledge that. We, we only acknowledge like the real elections in America, right? We don't have any election problems, but there was overwhelmingly people in the streets waving Russian flags. So I don't even know what the goal is there. I think that uh, we certainly, you know, don't want to see like Kiev fall, but right. there's no real risk of that at this stage of the game. And it's looks more like a money laundering operation to me than a real military campaign with clear objectives. Well, consequently, they're not having elections in Ukraine this year anyway, so it really doesn't matter when it right. comes to that stuff. Um, I do yeah, want defending to- the great democracy that bans elements of the press, executes political opponents, stops certain political parties from being on the ballot, and then just stops the balloting process altogether. That's the great democracy we're defending. Gotta love it. I do want to switch gears here a little bit because we do have some kind of big news. We're very excited about it here on the show because we've been kind of unpacking this for our listenership since 2021 when... You know, every single element of the Trump doctrine when it came to border security was essentially erased by Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas. His impeachment has gotten out of committee. We're looking to get a vote on it next week where we continue to talk about just about what every congressman and woman who comes on the show, Matt, where you guys can't get on the same page with votes. It looks like, you know, the power of the purse might not be there, but holding him, Alejandro Mayorkas, accountable 
via power of the policy or the lack thereof that he's used since he became the DHS secretary. Looks like something you guys might be able to get a W on. How do you see this thing shaking up? I mean, I know it went back to committee a couple times because some of the old dogs in there wanted to make sure that they got their mm-hmm. points across. There's a couple of congressmen who have went on the news this week that says, well, I, I would vote for impeachment, but I just want to make sure the entire case is like laid out to me. I don't know how you can make it any more of a case. You can't turn on the TV without seeing some part of the border disaster on any city in the United States, but moving forward and looking towards next week, you think this is something we're going to be able to get done? I, I do. And, and let me level set here. I think that impeachment of Mayorkas is necessary, but not sufficient. It's necessary to restore the rule of law, to send a message. Otherwise, you just get these lawless agencies doing whatever the hell they want, and our country suffers grave harm. But it is about the money, okay? If we impeach him, and keep funding this. Let's assume we even could impeach him and remove him in the Senate, that we could go make the case there. Who do you think's behind my orcas in line? You think it's going to be Tom Homan? You think it's going to be Mark Morgan? No, it's going to be some purple genderless, like Wotopian warlord from the Chaz that you're going to get next (laughs) as, as as the border person. So to me, it is about making the demands on those policy changes that you started your question with. And I'm glad Mike Johnson, our House Speaker, did not fall into the trap that Mitch McConnell and Senator Langford were trying to set with this Senate amnesty bill that started with the premise that you are going to release 5,000 illegal immigrants into the country every day. You know the mass of humanity that will build up on the other side of the border? And if you think that you're going to be able to execute some sort of control at like number 5,001, that is, that is a fiction that could be quickly disabused if anyone would just go to the border and see exactly how the flows are being managed and and the push and pull factors there. So we should impeach Mayorkas. I give credit to Speaker Johnson for doing that big trip that brought a lot of the skeptical members down to Eagle Pass, where they could get eyeball to eyeball with the Texas State Police, Texas Guard, Florida Highway Patrol, Florida Fish and Wildlife, everyone there doing their job. And obviously, it's the orders directly from Mayorkas that are stopping us from being able to protect the country from the invasion. And then when it comes to border security, do you think whether Mayorkas doesn't get you know, uh, convicted in the Senate or he refuses to step down, let's just say the person on the other side of him is worse, as you alluded to, maybe the final boss of every woke meme out there on the internet right now. Um, the thing is, regardless of what you guys pass, whether it's HR2 or a different version of that, uh, I know the, the Senate agreement between Schumer and Lankford is never going to pass in the House, so that's going to be DOA, like Speaker Johnson had said you know, several times over the course of the last few weeks. Even if it got to Joe Biden's desk and he signed it, whoever is at the head of the Department of Homeland Security has to adhere to it. I mean, where Joe Biden was writing executive orders on day one of his administration, Alejandro Mayorkas was writing memos circumventing longstanding uh, articles of law when it came to border enforcement, things with like notice to appear and, and all of the releases into the United States. And anytime there's a court ruling, he just writes another memo that kind of, you know, bobs and weaves around it. So as, as far as this session of Congress goes, do you think we're ever going to get on the same page when it comes to border security? Are we looking to 2025 and, and hopefully a new administration in there? Such a painful question to answer because you probably are right on target that until we get control of the administration and the Department of Homeland Security and get the right people at ICE and CBP, you are looking at a circumstance where Mayorkas we call it memoing over yep. the law. He just memos over it. And Andy Biggs of Arizona, great congressman, former head of the Freedom Caucus, he makes the argument that even HR2 is not sufficient because Mayorkas will just memo over it. They are a lawless agency and a lawless administration. And so the Biggs argument is forget about whatever's passed, not passed. Funny. The, the, let's be results driven. 
let's not be process driven. Let's say to the Biden administration, you don't get any more money for the execution of this regime until the border is closed, is secure, where we don't have illegals rushing in by the tens of thousands and over the course of a month, hundreds of thousands, right? Let's be a results-driven enterprise. And, oh, that gets a lot of the weak-kneed Republicans hand-wringing and bedwetting, but I think it's probably the only thing that will actually work. Otherwise, there will be a lot of messaging, but at the end of the day, um, these folks have shown a total disregard for the law. Yeah, it, well, it's a, it's a lot of the same things we're seeing from Alejandro Marcus when he was the head of CIS and had to step down from there after a lot of different funny things he was going on with the way they were trying to change the system where people who are permanent residents can gain citizenship and then visas for all of his friends like you know Phil Murphy, Hillary Clinton, and the owner of some professional soccer teams. So last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, it's a big thing. It, it's kind of what encapsulates the whole news cycle right now, and that's the primary process on the Republican side, or lack thereof, as Donald Trump is the clear and present nominee to be, let's just say, historic wins in Iowa and New Hampshire. He's looking to clean up in Nevada next week before he takes down to South Carolina and Michigan. Heading into Super Tuesday, he'll become the nominee. We know you're an ardent supporter of President Trump. We know that he has a lot of admiration for you as well. You've been out on the road with him just about as much as anybody who came on the show today has been with him through this campaign and in others, what has that experience been like? And what are you looking forward to as this primary process is getting ready to hopefully wrap up in about a month or so? I'm happy for President Trump that he got to go out there and sharpen up in Iowa and New Hampshire. Massive wins. Uh, I enjoyed going back to the Iowa caucuses, campaigning in New Hampshire. And if you want to know for me what's been the most rewarding part, it's been getting out of this crazy place. Yeah. When I'm in Washington, D.C., like when I walk into every room, I know that at least you know, 80% of them hate me and I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it. But then to go out on the trail and to be with the hardworking Americans who love this country as we should, and still have hope. Like the only reason you're showing up to hear me talk about what's going on or to hear president Trump is you believe we can fix it. And so we're not here just to diagnose and complain. We have solutions to these problems. We got the chance to execute on a lot of them during the Trump administration. But my principal mission here is to ensure that Congress is better prepared for the second term of Trump than we were the first term of Trump. Because with the Paul Ryan thing and Mitch McConnell, there was so much missed opportunity. We got yeah. a ton done, but there's a lot more meat on the bone. And if we get the right leadership in place, the right mentality, I'm going to rely on the people. You notice how many of these establishment hacks are retiring? Yep. Like after after the after the way they've acted here, they don't want to go face their voters. And so I'm counting on the people of this country to go and find great candidates to support them and get them here. I'm I don't have some massive nationwide political organization. I need backup and I need the people to send it. No, you know, that's why we try to identify as many as the America First congressmen and women uh, that bring them on the show so we can hear the same kind of messaging. It, it's not just theatrics. It, people need to understand in a vote-based system, there's only so many things you could do. Like in the way it's set up right now where you guys have the House and the Senate and obviously the executive branch is tied up by Democrats, there's, there's usually very little leeway, especially with the political climate that's going on in America right now. At the same time, where people have frustrations with Congress, it's, it should even encourage them more. We found a lot of candidates mm -hmm. across the country who are getting Trump endorsements, who either ran in 2022 and didn't get over the finish line. We're hopeful for them in the next term to get up there because you guys need to have power in the House when Donald Trump comes back or it's going to make his job and getting Agenda 47 done in those first two years that much harder. So 
I mean, we know it, you know it. Our listenership is definitely learning all about it, Congressman, and we thank you very much for joining us today. We're obviously going to live link your congressional website in the show description so everybody can check out all the great work you're doing for everybody in Florida 1 and across the country. But if anybody wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? At Matt Gates and at Rep Matt Gates, just about anywhere on the internet. I have a podcast. It's called Firebrand, available anywhere you listen. Quite a few episodes out this week. I've already listened to all of them. And uh, <laughs> now you just listen to a little excerpt of it here on Steak for Breakfast, getting the show kicked off today. This is the congressman representing Florida One, one of our America First Warriors. Mr. Matt Gates, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you. I'll be back soon. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas have just been released. Peter Ducey joins us now with all the details. Hi, Peter. And Carly, this is not something that's going to get pulled down by the House if the Senate border negotiations take a turn because they're not happy in the House with the Senate border negotiations. And besides, in these official articles of impeachment, they are accusing Mayorkas of lying to them. Here's a key quote from the articles. It says, Alejandro and Mayorkas knowingly made false statements to Congress that the border is secure, that the border is no less secure than it was previously, that the border is closed, and that DHS has operational control of the border. And then there's this, quote, Throughout his tenure as Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro and Mayorkas has repeatedly violated laws enacted by Congress regarding immigration and border security. In large part because of his unlawful conduct, millions of aliens have illegally entered the United States on an annual basis, with many unlawfully remaining in the United States. His refusal to obey the law is not only an offense against the separation of powers in the Constitution of the United States, it also threatens our national security. And now, the Homeland Security Committee's chairman, Mark Green, is breaking it down like this. He says about Mayorkas, he has breached the public trust by knowingly making false statements to Congress and the American people and obstructing congressional oversight of his department. These facts are beyond dispute, and the results of his lawless behavior have been disastrous for our country. DHS is responding to this. They have a brand new statement. It says, this farce of an impeachment is a distraction from other vital national security priorities and the work Congress should be doing to actually fix our broken immigration laws. But that is unlikely to move any of these House Republicans. And the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, says they are going to move to vote on these articles of impeachment for Mayorkas as soon as possible. Back to you. And getting things kicked off on our big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Ron Noah, still here. Yo. And if you guys uh, just heard from the Florida congressman as we let in with Matt Gates today, he gave us a little bit more of a breakdown on what's going on and the latest on this. Still no vote as of today, Friday. Looks like it's getting pushed to early next week. But the fact of the matter is, is that the article of impeachments have in now passed committee and are out onto the floor. So as we're getting ready to get things started on this big Friday edition of the show, happy Groundhog Day to everyone. And, uh, what do you think, Noah? We're getting early spring this year, according to Punxsutawney Phil. Early spring? Early spring. Did not see a shadow. Is spring rain? And, and where you usually have an 82% six more weeks of winter, he rebuked that this year. I mean, we've been getting plenty of rain. Yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all I've been seeing. So it looks like, uh, well, as far as the cold weather goes, we'll, we'll be hitting spring a little bit earlier than normal this year, so... That's the latest out of... I can uh, dig it. That'll be nice on my motorcycle. That's the latest on the ground from Gobbler's Knob. <laughs> Is that where Kamala Harris works? Oh, that's where... She probably has that listed as a previous <laughs> employment location on her resume. Oh, it was Knob Gobbler, maybe. Oh, God. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's going on with the impeachment stuff. Uh, 
how this is looking as far as votes go. I mean, out of Matt Gates, we're still going to interview Anna Paulina Luna and E.I. Crane this show and, and kind of gauge them where they see it's at. We're going to have Bob Good and Troy Nels in our next edition of the podcast as well. So you'll get a complete view of what it looks like from outside the Freedom Caucus, inside the Freedom Caucus, and everything in between. It's kind of the picture we're trying to paint for you guys on the show today, plus a lot of other stuff going on. Up and down week for the Biden administration for sure. Uh, a weird press conference yesterday with Lloyd Austin. We'll touch on that a little bit later in the show. Donald Trump was in Washington, D.C. this week meeting with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters executive branch. Uh, could be a big deal, could not. I think Donald Trump kind of weighed in on the same way. We'll check in on that. And then the latest from the campaign trail. Donald Trump didn't do too much campaigning this week, but he did have a lot of surrogates who were working in states like South Carolina out doing a lot of the work for him and in the cable news cycle. So big show. Again, happy Groundhog Day, and let's jump right into this. Obviously, once the Articles of Impeachment cleared committee, we were going to hear from leadership. We're going to hear from Mike Johnson, who provided a statement earlier today, which is Friday. But yesterday, Tom Emmer released a statement and spoke to a press gaggle up in the halls of Congress talking about this. Let's hear him. Hey, the House Homeland Security Committee is going to mark up Articles of Impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas for willfully and systematically refusing to comply with the law and for breaching Americans' trust. These articles are the product of a deliberate, thoughtful, and fair investigation, revealing that Secretary Mayorkas' failure to fulfill his oath of office has resulted in, a his, in an historic border crisis, costing thousands of lives. I first called for Secretary Mayorkas' impeachment last May, and I stand by that call today. Since Joe Biden and Secretary Mayorkas took office, there have been more than 8.3 million illegal crossings nationwide. There have been 1.7 million known gotaways. Just, and by the way, those are just the ones we know about. Just last month, there were more than 302,000 illegal immigrants encountered at the southern border, the highest single month ever recorded. But the Biden administration's border crisis is not just about illegal immigration. It's about fentanyl. It's about human trafficking. And it's about our national security. These are the things that threaten the livelihood of every single American. And these are the things that Secretary Mayorkas Secretary? has refused to address while simultaneously sending a message to the world that our borders are open. And if you choose to come here illegally, you will get released into the country with little or no chance of removal. More like secretary. After nearly a year-long investigation carried out by the Homeland Security Committee into the border crisis, a few things have become very clear. Number one, the crisis is intentional. Number two, Secretary Marocas is responsible. And number three, he must be held accountable. Secretary Marocas has had three years to either do his job to protect our borders or to resign if if uh, he should be resigning but since he won't and since he's failed to do his job and i think willfully uh, it's time to impeach and i turn it over to our speaker mike who we'll hear from a little bit later in the show so noah now that uh we're out of committee and at two articles of impeachment failing to secure the border and lying to congress have been filed on behalf of alejandro n mayorkas how do you feel? Uh, what, is, what does the N stand for? Nin, nincompoop? You want to know what? I went back and looked at the yearbook pictures that were given to us earlier in the year of when he was the co-captain. Oh, of wait. The, I know what it stands for. Um, no data. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, congressman, I uh, don't have data on that, but my office would be glad to 
get back to you as soon as we can. <laughs> do a pretty good Mayorkas. Yeah. It's actually, you, you do a better Fauci. Yeah. I still think we need to bring back tarring and feathering. Oh, man. Put them in that. What, what is that thing called where you put your hands and neck through it so people can throw tomatoes at you? Oh, yeah. the, what the... I don't know, I forget what it's called. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know... It's wild to see that they were able to get this out of committee because it's been kicked back twice already. But as as always, you know, Republicans, much like boomers and libertarians, can't do anything without fucking it up. But there's already a couple people who saying like, you know, when it comes to impeachable articles, I don't know if this really crosses the threshold for high crimes and misdemeanors. So I'm really going to have to understand what the uh, intent here is and make sure it's not payback for what happened to Donald Trump. We'll hear some of that later. Speaker Johnson put out a statement, and I said, we're going to hear a brief clip of him a little bit later, trying to paint the timeline throughout the course of the week, directly following the impeachment articles, clearing committee. I'm going to read it here. Since the moment he was confirmed, Secretary Mayorkas has willingly and consistently refused to comply with federal immigration, fueling the worst border catastrophe in American history. He has undermined our public trust through multiple false statements he's made to Congress, obstructed lawful oversight of the Department of Homeland Security, and violated his oath of office. I commend the House Homeland Security Committee for conducting a thorough investigation, which was exhaustive, into Secretary Mayorkas's failed leadership of the department and his role in the ongoing border crisis. Today's vote in committee is a solemn but necessary step to bring accountability for the American communities devastated by the effects of an open border. We'll also touch on that in just a second. You hear about how spicy it's been getting up in New York with the illegals from Venezuela up there? Yeah, I saw videos of, what, four or five guys that literally got caught beating up police officers, Mm. and then they're doing their little walk when they got released or whatever with no charges whatsoever, and they're flipping off the camera and just being basic jagaloons. Neck tats and all. Yeah. Although we were able to bring you a few committee highlights and lowlights, everything from, you know, the representatives who said this was a witch hunt and a hoax to some of the representatives who gave us fodder for memes all week, talking about an electrified border wall that's surrounded by alligator-filled moats, patrolled by F-16s, and, uh, you know, rogue sovereign citizens with assault rifles protecting it and and shooting potential asylum seekers in the legs. (laughs) Once the vote was done... Chairman Representative Mark Green, out of Homeland, issued a statement on the passing of the Articles of Impeachment, now heading to the House of Representatives. We're going to play that clip in its entirety. Let's hear him. The question now occurs on reporting the resolution HRES 863 as amended to the House with a favorable recommendation. All those in favor say aye. Aye. All those opposed, no. No. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. And the motion is agreed to. I like that part in Star- uh, Transformers, the movie. Recorded. <laughs> a recorded vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Mr. McCall. Aye. Mr. McCall votes aye. Mr. Higgins. Aye. Mr. Higgins votes aye. You know Mr. Clay Guess. Higgins is voting aye. Oh, yeah. Yes, votes aye. Mr. Bishop. Aye. Mr. Bishop votes aye. Mr. Jimenez. Aye. Mr. Jimenez votes aye. Mr. Fluger. Aye. Mr. Fluger votes aye. Mm. Mr. Garbarino. Aye. Mr. Garbarino votes aye. Miss Green. Aye. Miss Green votes aye. Mr. Gonzalez. Aye. Mr. Gonzalez votes aye. Mr. Lolota. Aye. Mr. Lolota votes aye. Mr. Izell. Aye. Mr. Izell votes aye. Mr. Desposito. Aye. 
Mr. D'Esposito votes aye. Ms. Lee? Aye. Ms. Lee votes aye. Mr. Luttrell? Aye. Mr. Luttrell votes aye. Mr. Strong? Aye. Mr. Strong votes aye. Mr. Burkeen? Aye. Mr. Burkeen votes aye. Mr. Crane? Mr. Crane votes aye. Ranking Member Thompson? Nay. Ranking Member Thompson <laughs> votes Thompson. no. Ms. Jackson Freaking Lee? Freaking douchebag. Bad day. No. Ms. Jackson Lee votes it's, no. It's yay Mr. or nay, Payne. stupid, no. not no. Mr. Payne uh, votes one. no. Mr. Swalwell? No. Mr. Swalwell votes Farwell. no. Farwell? Mr. Correa? No. Mr. Correa votes no. Mr. Carter? No. Like, they literally they no. can't Mr. say Canada. nay? It's yay or Mr. nay. Mr. Canada <laughs> votes That's no. That's racist, by Mr. the way. Mr. Magaziner? Mr. Magaziner votes no. Mr. Magaziner. Mr. Ivy. <laughs> no. Fuck. Mr. Ivy votes no. Mr. Goldman. No. Mr. Goldman votes no. Mr. Garcia. No. Mr. Garcia votes no. Mrs. Ramirez. Mrs. Ramirez votes no. Mr. Menendez. Mr. Menendez votes no. Ms. Clark. Nope. Ms. Clark votes no. Ms. Titus. Ms. Titus votes no. Me. Are there other members in the room who wish to have their vote recorded? How am I recorded? You are not recorded. The chair votes aye. Chairman Green votes aye. The clerk will report the tally. On that vote, Mr. Green, Chairman Green, it was 18 ayes and 15 noes. Oh, it wasn't. The yeah, ayes have it, and I'm the done. motion is agreed to. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Without objection, staff is authorized to make any technical and conforming changes. Without objection, the measure amended during today's markup will be reported to the House in the form of one amendment in the nature of a substitute for the resolution. This concludes the consideration of the resolution noticed by the committee for today. And we're looking to have probably, unless some people on the other side of the aisle, the Democrat side, are bullied into close district race and an election year votes, pretty much the same kind of partisan tally when we get to the floor vote. I don't know why I thought it was yay or nay. I mean, I guess they were saying aye or no, right? It's the same thing. Yeah. I think we're good. No, but I was making fun of them for saying no, but that's what they were supposed to say. So well, they're all I apologize, you fucking retards. There you go. Benny Thompson said this was a baseless investigation and... How do you figure? ...said the American people deserve better than this right now. Jeez. Many other Democrats who were asked about it throughout the course of the week outside of the House of Representatives, pointed back to this being a congressional issue and the reason that Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas let 10 million people into the country after Donald Trump let in essentially nobody, especially in the last two years of his presidency, is simply because Congress is broken, which is a 100% unadulterated fantasy, mm. to say the very least. I mean, with the stroke of a pen, Joe Biden could stop this right now. He chooses not to. He doesn't want to take any of those immigration wins that would make it look like he's falling back on Donald Trump policies in an election year. He's already doing bad enough already. So I talked about what happened up in New York this week, and, you know, Noah gave you a little lead-in on the assault. Apparently there were some illegals doing some, I guess, illegal behavior mm. um, in Times Square, and when they were approached by police officers, one of them crossed the threshold to be detained, and when that was attempted, up to six other illegals... I believe all from Venezuela, attacked the police officers, beat them, repeatedly kicked and punched them in the back, ribs, and head. Also punched both NYPD officers in the face and stole one of their cell phones, which is eventually how they tracked 
the group of illegals down. <laughs> what an idiot. I saw Fox News played a brief clip of this. I think it's important to talk about and to hear from. Let's check it out. Just into Fox News now, NYPD making two more arrests, illegal immigrants, and that attack on officers. Those suspects also allegedly stole an officer's cell phone. Well, that'll help them track you down. So a fifth illegal immigrant accused of attacking two New York City police officers over the weekend showed no remorse or regret. He was seen, as you can see, giving his two middle fingers to the cameras moments after being released without bail. Released without bail. Of course. I also saw some follow-up reports this morning indicating that several of the legals have now boarded buses and are heading for places like Chicago or even California, which means none of them would be appearing for their court dates at some point, which would be in the near future. I saw current Empire State Governor Kathy Holchel yesterday. She was walking into a building and was being peppered with questions from reporters wanting commentary on this specific incident to where she stopped, almost looked like aggravatedly, and said, no one touches our police officers. These people should be detained and they should be removed from the country. Yes. It's pretty easy to say that, though, as a Democrat who wears the fact that you're a sanctuary state across your chest once the people have already committed the crime, been processed, and are into the wind. Would have been helpful 24 hours before. Uh, New York Mayor Eric Adams was asked the same kind of question, and he said, you know, essentially, this is the system that you vote for as the mayor. I'm powerless to do anything with it. He pulled the old Joe Biden, which, again, with the stroke of a pen, could be changed. We can go from cashless bail to lots of cash bail with the stroke of a pen from New York Mayor Eric Adams, but we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about watching this stuff on TV, and again, one of the police officers was briefly in intensive care. The other one just got what some are calling superficial injuries. He should have received none of them. Intensive care? Yeah. That's serious. And, and you know, these guys are... Back on the streets committing crime again. And when you see these people walking out of processing from whatever police station they were brought to, they were all dressed up like complete thugs, face tattoos, neck tattoos, double middle fingers, and like blowing middle fingers off of kisses. Surprised there was no gang signs being thrown up. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe I missed it. I'm yeah. sure they cleverly clipped that off. I'm not that good of an interpreter when it comes to that stuff as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to see what has happened, uh, you know, with the the justice system, especially in places like this. And now in addition to paying millions and billions of dollars to take care of these people, you're probably going to see an even higher attrition rate from places like the New York PD, which is at all time highs. Yeah. Because people are going to be walking away from jobs that they know nobody gives a shit if they do or not. And the only people who are ever going to get in trouble is the cops who are trying to do their job. I'm fully in belief that if any of the cops was a skilled fighter and just like turn around and knocked out a couple of these guys who were kicking his partner down. He would be sitting in Rikers Island right now. Yeah. He would be losing his job and be done awaiting trial. Yeah. Racist. Much like the Daniel Penny incident where he saved a whole bunch of people from some psycho on the train. who From certain death. Mm -hmm. Basically. I know this Eli Crane has been working on some house legislation this week and uh, he's really been peppering. New York DA Alvin Bragg's office with letting him know that Congress has not forgot about this incident and is watching it very closely. We'll touch on him and, and that situation in just a little bit. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what podcasting platform it's on, hopefully it's Apple. We're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Hit the plus button. Hit that follow button. Make sure it's downloading to our electronic device. 
In addition, social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. So we all knew we were probably going to run into some hurdles, to say the very least, when it comes to passing this impeachment vote and sending it up to the Senate to where, unless there is some kind of change or suspension of the rules, they would have to hold a Senate trial. We were going to have some self-inflicted wounds from within our own party. Mm. Leave it to nobody other than departing Colorado 3 rep, Ken Buck, who voted twice to vacate the speaker, albeit it's not too on board with this one, to jump on MSNBC, one of the two cable networks he's vying for a job in, them and CNN, once he leaves Congress at the end of the session, to talk about how he's not with it when it comes to the Mayorkas impeachment volunteer. They get right to the man who now tells NBC News he is a solid no on impeachment, Republican Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado. Welcome back to the program, Congressman. I know you were previously undecided. What led you to decide you will vote no? Well, uh, this is not a high crime or misdemeanor. It's not an impeachable offense. This is a policy difference. Um, let me, from the outset, say there is a crisis on the border. Uh, the, the law needs to be enforced. Um, but uh, if we start going down this path of impeachment with a uh, cabinet official, uh, we are opening a door as Republicans that we don't want to open. The next president, who is a Republican, will face the same scrutiny from Democrats. It's wrong, and, and we should not set this precedent. Have leaders been trying to convince you otherwise? And is there anything that will change your mind? Or when you say solid no, you mean solid no. Yes, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not changing my mind. I have met with uh, Chairman Green from the Homeland Security uh, Committee. I have met with uh, the staff. I have talked to outside constitutional experts. I've talked to former members of Congress about what this would mean for Congress. Uh, I, I believe I have done my due diligence and, and I am standing firm uh, at this point on, on this. If there's some new evidence, I'm happy to look at it, but I don't believe. I think we can lose. I think we need 215 votes to pass. Um, Matt Gates alluded to Ken Buck and then, of course, Rhino Don Bacon out in Nebraska. And, and there might be like one or two others who have gone on the news and said, you know, I'm really going to have to take a hard look at this to see legally if this crosses thresholds. Lying to Congress, what's been done to the country should be enough. Yeah. How is that not? It's, it's treason. Matt Gates is also, you know, he did a real good job of pointing out the way through executive order there's been over 90, 20 directly addressing Trump-era border policies that Joe Biden has written. In addition, the phrase that Congress uses to describe the way Alejandro Mayorkas has memoed his way, not only around immigration law, but current federal court rulings. Alejandro. Mm. N. Mayorkas. Nincompoop. No data. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send those high school yearbook pictures of Alejandro Mayorkas to Matt Gates today. And say, for as much as we'd like to spread him around, you've got a little bit more of a reach. I hope you like the picture of him with his afro. <laughs> it should be glorious. See if he spreads them. Last clip we got before we jump in with Florida Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna for the first time. On a reschedule from our Tuesday edition of the show. We're sorry, slash. It happens. You're welcome. Speaker Johnson was on Fox Business right before the show started today talking about the impending impeachment vote. Let's hear him as we're getting ready to jump out of this segment. 
Look, everybody knows Mayorkas is an unmitigated disaster as a cabinet secretary. I believe he's the worst in the history of the country. And impeachment is a, is a, is a really important and serious measure for the House to take. It's an important, a heavy responsibility that we have under the Constitution. But when someone refuses to uh, comply with their oath of office, when they intentionally break existing federal law, and when they lie to Congress, it's a great breach of public trust. And there really is no other measure that we have in the House to hold them accountable. But that ultimate penalty it's a good point yeah when you are someone and we've heard from a lot of different people irs fbi whistleblowers former cabinet officials former heads of federal agencies if you lie outside of anything that you do within the scope of your job when doing that job sometimes more than an inadvertent crime that's committed it should be a no strikes firing and if the only way to fire a cabinet member... I mean, if I don't do my job correctly. So if they tell you you have to get, like, six trucks unloaded and you only do five, but you tell them you do six, you might be in trouble. Or if I just leave, let the trucks leave while they're still loaded, just Ooh. so the trucks aren't there waiting anymore. Well, who's going to forklift them then? The falls back on the heels of the American people. Yep. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. As someone who works for the government, if you lie in the scope of your job, that's usually strike one, two, and three for termination. So it's going to be interesting to see if Republicans can stay together over the weekend and bring that boat to the floor early next week. Obviously, we're going to continue to provide full coverage, bring as many members of the Republican House in here to talk on it as we can, both up to and through the impeachment process. And we'll see where it goes from there. Other than that, we're getting ready to jump in with Congresswoman Luna. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Hi, this is Beardo over at Beard Vet Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a vote. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at Beard Vet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to take a line with our principles. We don't identify as America first, we live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of Beard Vet, buy a bag. Help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STEAK for 10% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's the congresswoman who's representing Florida's 13, but as many of our listeners know, she represents all of the America First movement. Rep. Anna Paulina Luna, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me on. Very excited to be here. We've been tracking you for quite a long time and are glad to finally catch up. I'm sure our listenership is going to be excited to hear from you. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's been a busy week up on Capitol Hill. Oh, 100%, but wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, that's the truth there. So first thing I want to talk about is it, it seems like the battle over the border has kind of gone three-pronged now. We have the impending impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas as that's getting ready to head to a floor vote. We also have the you know, Senate pseudo amnesty bill that's kind of getting worked on between Senator Langford and Schumer and everybody else at the White House right now. And then we have something that's not really in maybe the authority of the House, but I'm sure everybody's closely watching the Texas v. Biden in regards to the Shelby Park area. Now, as House Republicans, I'm sure in and out of conference, have talked extensively about all the stuff going on. I'm sure number one is securing our U.S. southern border at the moment. Uh, how are you guys looking at this, and, and what are some of the things, you know, including the uh, Mayorkas impeachment vote that you guys are looking to do to make sure the border gets secure? Well, look, the Senate amnesty bill is dead on arrival. I mean, myself, Freedom Caucus members, I'm sure the members that you um, also have on today's show, and then also, 
I mean, people are just, we're over it and we're not going to be playing the ball of the Senate. But the point is, is that, you know, impeachment for Mayorkas, this should have been done day one. It really, the one thing that ticks me off is right now we don't have the Senate, but instead of being aggressive, I feel like my party is basically trying to play nice and these people are not nice. And Mayorkas, regardless of, you know, what you view on amnesty, he's hurting people on both sides of the border. So like, you can't say that you're for amnesty and for illegal immigration and that you really want to help these people because, What's happening is these people are basically getting put through the meat grinder. So just like bad all the way around and Americans are suffering. So that's probably been one of the most frustrating things. But look, I mean, if they really wanted to fix what's happening at the border, the White House, the Senate, they should have passed H.R. 2. We did that months ago. They didn't like it because it's too conservative for them. And by conservative, I mean, it literally just secures our borders and does something that even back in the 90s, Democrats would be agreeing and championing. So what we're trying to do right now is really kind of just show the American people, look, it, it, isn't it interesting that this is coming up on an election year? But this is absolutely by design. And 100 percent of what's happening at the border is absolutely at the hands of Joe Biden and the Democrats. Now, when you've heard some commentary, I'm sure at least seen it on the news from Joe Biden, whether he's getting in and out of the helicopter or to and from the podium over the course of the last couple of days, you know, he says he has confirmed that the border is broken. He also alluded to saying it's been there for a long time. And then, you know, when you talk about the things that he wants, everything that the Democrats have kind of slowly dripped out in the news since around congressional recess at Christmas time, you've had Kamala Harris, AOC, you've had Alejandro Mayorkas, of course, Joe Biden, uh, even people that aren't in politics right now, like Hillary Clinton, all allude to the fact that the only way to secure the border is to deal with all the people that they've already re let in. Now, over 90 pieces of executive legislation from Joe Biden, in addition to 20 that directly erased most of the major components of the Trump doctrine when it comes to border security as soon as he took office. You know, you're talking about Four million people nearly were remaining in Mexico when Joe Biden took office, and that just opened up the floodgates when he stopped, you know, MPP and all of the way that the asylum hearings were being held, the erasure of Title 42, etc. And I understand when you say that this is by design, but how much of a non-starter is it? I mean, I know the Senate bill is like a preamble to amnesty, but we really feel like that's going to be Joe Biden's big and if not only legislative push for the rest of of this time up until the November election to say the only way we're going to be able to shut down the border is if we deal with the people that we've already let in. Yeah, that's not happening. It's ironic because I actually met with a senator over, um, obviously, on our side, and it was really horrifying to hear him say that the only way that Congress is going to get border security is by pushing amnesty. And frankly, they can shove it. I'm not doing that. And I think a lot of my colleagues aren't going to do that. And, you know, talking about dealing with people here, the people that are here aren't just women and children. And I hate that they try to chalk that up. If you look at any of those big lines of people coming in, it's mostly military age males. Correct. They're not all Hispanic. A lot of them are from Africa. A lot of them are from the Communist Chinese Party. A lot of them are people that are on terrorist watch lists and they're just coming in. They're bogging down the legal immigration system. So like our offices are getting inundated with people that are trying to do it the right way and are getting kicked to the back of the line because of the courts that being bogged down by all these people coming here illegally and frankly the only way to deal with you know the people here is de deportation no it's the truth you know and, and then when you talk about the job and leadership right now we've had all different kinds just about every flavor uh, of members of the house of 
you know, on the Republican side over the course of the last few weeks and on the show, you know, realists like Mike Collins and Corey Mills. We've had people who just straight up tell you how it is, maybe even a little jaded. Now that he's got a chance to experience the system like Matt Gates, someone who will tell you the entire history of the world when it comes to Republican politics like Matt Gates. And, and, you know, everybody's kind of said the same thing. We've even had leadership in here. You know, Chairwoman Stefanik joined us on the show last Friday and uh, she gave a really great interview and, and, and talked about Speaker Johnson. You know, President Trump on the campaign campaign trail out at the uh, Nevada Commit to Caucus event that happened just this weekend said some really good things about Mike Johnson and said history will prove that he's going to be a better speaker than people are giving him credit for. You know, out of all the things that he was kind of handed, and that's the pre-established deals of Kevin McCarthy regarding the budget, the fact that the federal government, uh, you know, has basically been budgeted by continuing resolution and omnibuses for nearly three decades now, if not longer. And, and you know, all of the other intangibles, when it comes to border security, right before Christmas break, him and Chairwoman Stefanik went on Fox and Friends and they said, border security is the hill that House Republicans are going to die on no matter what. And it looks like, at least up to this point, with some of the stuff that he said, I mean, I'm sure everybody would like to see a little bit tougher MAGA Mike, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, when you're talking about the generational changes that are going to be needed, uh, you know, to transform the way that the House is run, I I think he's kind of setting the groundwork to have you guys set up for a good session next year. But in the meantime, uh, holding the line on border security seems to be something that he's kind of got a knack for at the moment. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's no doubt that he's going to absolutely champion um, really killing that Senate amnesty deal. So I'm not worried about that. But I do think that, you know, they have and by they I mean, the Senate, uh, especially, you know, our own Senate leadership, which really ticks me off. You know, Mitch McConnell is not exactly the best thing for the American people. And so he is absolutely trying to cut back in deals. Um, with Democrats that are pushing for open borders. And I think that it's really egregious. And frankly, people forget, remember, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden ran on an open border platform. They treated Hispanics as stupid. They said that we were breakfast tacos. They played Justin Bieber's Despacito, all of that stuff. (laughs) And then they realized that Hispanic Americans at the border didn't want that, which is why we got a lot of those red seats there that flipped blue districts. And now they're they're backtracking and saying that they want to help out. So they're literally, you know, gaslighting Americans. They abused us. Now they're going to pretend that they're the solution and it's a complete joke now yeah I, I do think when you when you kind of lay it out that way that that's pretty much the way it is and i think that's the way our listenership understands it to this point it seems like you know we really try to condition all the people that, that tune into our show it's very easy for someone whether they're talking about like hey i took my kid to soccer all the way down to i'm fighting for border security as a member of congress not to just blow up their comments with like we hate you do something close it's like it's a vote-based system and it's a system that's kind of been established to this point for the american people to lose unless there's a well Sided uh, end to a majority on one side, and even easier when you have more than one chamber, like the Republicans do not have right now. But but I think what you guys are doing has has kind of set a lot of wheels in motion that are going to show for good things in the House, good things for this session, and at the end of the day, you're going to make Joe Biden uh, be held responsible for his policies, which you know Alejandro Mayorkas has carried out to this point as, as part of Joe Biden's border security. Yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens as we move forward. But what I will say is, you know, the re-election campaign that the Biden administration is currently running, especially with them now, I, I don't know if you heard this, they're trying to recruit Taylor Swift to endorse them oh, yeah. after what they've done to this country. I mean, 
it's, I don't know if they think that Americans are stupid, which we're not, but the polling is showing that people are rejecting this. They're not following the typical propaganda machines that existed in the 90s and early 2000s with some of these media companies and corporations. And so it's going to be podcasts. It's going to be social media people that are really going to break through the programming. And I think there's going to be a big win for Republicans in 2024. I'll be honest with you, Congresswoman. It's kind of hard to recruit someone as big as Taylor Swift when not anybody in, in the age demographics here can afford to yeah. go to her concerts because of Joe Biden's economy. A hundred percent that. And most of her listeners are, you know, in their tweens. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm going to have to tell my daughter she unfortunately can't vote. No, she wouldn't. She loves Donald Trump. <laughs> All right. I do want to segue a little bit. We do have this bipartisan tax deal that's on the table might already be up for a vote by the time the show airs but here's the deal you know we've had people in the freedom caucus who said they would have much rather to go back to committee have a little bit more deliberations over some of the fine tunage of it and and this that and the other thing congressman norman joined us on our tuesday edition of the show we also heard from bob good this week as well and you know it's probably not something that everybody's going to be thrilled about but can you tell us a little bit and and give us some of the details on, on why this might be beneficial for the american people Well, I'm going to tell you why it's not beneficial. So right now, currently what I'm hearing is they're trying to broker a deal with the Republicans in New York to increase something called a SALT tax. That's that state and local uh, income tax. Basically, it's a subsidy for blue states and then the red states get screwed over. And so I'm not going to be for that. Florida's not for that. We're not going to be subsidizing New York's terrible policies, especially in in regards to state taxes or California's for that matter. So I think that you know, that bill, they're trying to say it's going to be this great thing, but really it's not. And so I think that there's going to be a messaging war on that. We don't even know if it's going to pass. That's a good point. And, and, you know, it's interesting to see how this is kind of coming out in the midst of all the other things. We've got about a month, a little bit longer left on the continuing resolution before we figure out what we do there. In addition to all the stuff that's going on on the border. And then all of a sudden on Monday, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have a vote on this big tax break. And I was like, bipartisan tax break, what the heck's going on here? And the more we hear about it, the more we hear about the complaints and that it needs a little bit more time before, I guess, the House conference on the Republican side is ready with it. But who knows if we'll see a suspension of the rules and a vote on it before the week is out. Okay, so last thing I want to touch with you on as far as the major issues go, and this is a major issue to you, Congresswoman, you know, the your family got a little bit bigger this year. And it seems like you, as a congresswoman, aren't able to enjoy the same luxuries as maybe other people in the Biden administration, like Mayor Pete. <laughs> like booty judge. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't. You, he gets the opportunity to chest feed. And then it seems like when it comes to votes and stuff like that, you don't have the same luxuries and advantages as they do in, in what's supposed to be the most, you know, diverse and woke regime in the history of the galaxy. So I'm trying to understand <laughs> what's going on. But while everybody's making a big deal about it, you're trying to push legislation on this. And I want you to tell our listenership about it. Yeah. So basically, as of right now, if you give birth as a member of Congress, so women, there's only been 12 in U.S. history, mean being one of them, which is 0.1 percent of Congress as a whole. Um, but you can't vote. In fact, there's no maternity leave. There's no way for me to continue representing. And I think that it's pretty messed up that you have literally an appointee in the federal government, Booty Judge, who's a dude, and he got maternity leave before I did. So we're talking about it currently. And one of the biggest concerns from some of my very respected Republican colleagues are, is it constitutional or not? So we ensured that this was in line with the Constitution. We removed something that would establish a quorum, which is really the minimum number needed to to have a governing body. And so it would simply just allow for votes to take place for any member that gives birth. And we're actually getting some pretty big bipartisan support. But I say this, even if you know you're a Democrat, 
you know, if you're championing women's in women in the workforce and women's rights, then you should support this. And if you're a Republican and you're pro-life and pro-family and pro-motherhood, you should support this as well. So we're hoping that it'll pass. But we're going to have to do something called a discharge petition, which means we're literally going to get it to the floor and go get the signatures from members to actually pass it. Well, you know, I, I hope that there's enough people getting behind this because at the end of the day, and, and when you see how the demographic of Congress has changed over the last 20, 30 years, there's a lot more women, young women participating in Congress now than ever before. Obviously, starting family and motherhood are going to be crucial parts of, of sometimes long terms up in Congress, you know, longer than just one or two terms. And you want to be able to support them. And at the same time, not have to blame them when they're unable to vote based on on prior standing rules and i think it's definitely time for i mean joe biden wants to hire like furries and transgender people to run <laughs> to run our country in the military at the same time we we just want a mom to be able to vote so we have the majority and we can use it so i, I definitely think that that's awesome plus your baby's so cute i love seeing those late night posts you put out where it's like you know one o'clock in the morning on the floor and you've got the baby in like this cute little outfit and it's like well mom's got to work so everybody's got to work and it's just you know, it's crazy the way that it should be a lot simpler, but it's good to see that if someone's going to be at the forefront of this, it's going to be you. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Congresswoman, you can let our listenership know. I don't know if you know, but this is one of the largest landing pads for all things Trump world out in America First politics here. Every single person that does a lot of media and you see on TV often spends a great deal of time on our show every month. Everyone from Tom Holman and Don Jr. all the way down to Devin Nunes, Cash Patel, Rick Grinnell, they all join us. People from the Trump campaign are in and out of here. You you did some I guess you want to say campaigning with the 45th president. He was out in Iowa and New Hampshire over the course of the last few weeks. We're getting ready for Nevada next week and then heading to South Carolina before Super Tuesday. But how has that experience been being, you know, part of what seems like this is one of the most well-oiled machines when it comes to campaigns in the history of modern politics? Oh, it is. It is wild to see. I mean, people know. And I think it's mainly because look at all the crazy stuff the deep state is thrown at Trump. I mean, there's literally no reason for it. All, a majority of the cases are thrown out. You literally have like political targeting, even from the DOJ against Trump. Yep. And so if anything, it's solidified more support for the president. You have people like Snoop Dogg coming out to say that <laughs> nothing but like positive things to say about him, which previously, you know, he was a part of the whole Hollywood movement against him. But I mean, Trump has it. People love him. His polling's incredible. I think he's like beating Nikki Haley by 30 points in South Carolina, which is hilarious because Nikki Haley is just the cringiest of cringe. <laughs> but I mean, moving forward, I think, you know, he's going to be looked at and really studied as far as presidential political campaigns are concerned for the future because of how he's just been able to really connect with people, use his platform to really shatter fake news. And also, too, I mean, he's going to win big. Yeah. At this point, it looks like, uh, you know, the more the polls come out, it's like there's not much room for him to move the needle at this point. And, you know, the Republican primary is over. But now in the presidential race, we had the first uh, round of polls that showed all seven major swing states were favoring Trump for the first time this week. That's just amazing to see after all every like you said, everything they've thrown at him. And then last confirmation I want to ask from you, because we've had people I mean, special forces, Green Berets. You name it, combat veterans that did multiple tours. They said Donald Trump has more energy than all of them put together. Is that can you confirm <laughs> that this man just doesn't get tired? Yes. No, he does. And it's so funny because he's just like I I don't he is one of those rare people that I think he's able to get energy from the energy that people are giving him. And so he's he's at it. You know, I have this really great visual of coming back onto his plane after we were all campaigning in Iowa for him initially. And, you know, he had his McDonald's in the back <laughs> and he had food set up and everyone's just eating. He likes his Fanta. He loves Fanta, which is kind of funny. So Ooh. he had it out. He's drinking his Fantas and his Diet Coats. But he's he's really cool. 
No, it's awesome to see and awesome to hear. You know, he's, he alluded to at, at the Nevada Commit to Caucus rally last week and that if he cut back on the junk food, some of his doctors said he could live to 200. I mean, you said we'll study him, but he's probably going <laughs> to outlive all of us here. Oh, it's just it's hilarious to see. Congresswoman, this has been awesome catching up with you for the first time. We hope that at some point in the future you'll be back to join us. And uh, we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today so everybody can check you out. But if they want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on my personal account at Real Anna Paulina or on my officials at Rep Luna. Absolutely fantastic. As it was spending time with you today on this Friday, this is the Congresswoman who's representing Florida 13. But as you can hear, she's an America First warrior for everyone out there. Rep Luna, thanks for joining us and have a great rest of the weekend. Thank you. Biden travels to the key swing state of Michigan today, and he's got a lot of work to do there if he expects to win it again. He won back in 2020 there, but the political ground has shifted, and some of the groups that used to support him, well, they may now be up for grabs. Ed O'Keefe is at the White House. He's been following all this closely. Ed, good morning. Tony, good to see you. Michigan is set to play a crucial role this year, and its 15 electoral votes are very much in play. Polls continue to show former President Donald Trump with the advantage over Mr. Biden after Trump lost the state in 2020. Both candidates know winning support from union workers could be key in Michigan. Trump met Wednesday here in Washington with leaders of the Teamsters Union. And while they're unlikely to endorse him, Trump is hoping to make inroads with its rank and file. The current president is set to meet today with members of the United Auto Workers, which did endorse him last week, as you see there, after he stood with them on the picket line last year. But Mr. Biden also faces strong criticism and growing opposition from Michigan's sizable Arab American and Muslim American communities, were becoming increasingly opposed to his continued support for the Israeli government and its war with Hamas as casualties continue to rise in Gaza. The president's been faced with protesters out on the road recently and at some of his speeches, and the fear of voters not turning out in Michigan is why he'll be rallying all the support he can today. As we're jumping back into the news portion of the show here, and before we do, Noah, what do you think about having Rep. Anna Paulina Luna on for the first time? Oh, she's awesome. Definitely worth the wait. Yeah. She was pretty based. The reschedules happen. You know, what are you going to do? He's a busy person. Those pesky house votes. I know, right? Like, I, well, at least somebody's doing their job. <laughs> I still can't get over the fact that Matt Gates said when he walks into a Republican conference and he knows anywhere between 85 and 90% of the people want to beat him up when he walks in the room. <laughs> <laughs> the people who we've got fighting for us up on Capitol Hill are definitely the right ones now. Like when you walk in the room and you just give everybody the, like, the little two-finger like, hey, what's up? And I know we're only audio, but I got to tell you, Matt Gates alluded to Eli Crane being the Johnny Cash of Congress. Oh, yeah. Both in personality and the way he dresses. Well, I like it. He's got some style then. Matt Gates had his best Eli Crane doing Johnny Cash ensemble on today. We'll see when we jump in with the Arizona congressman and former Navy SEAL in just a bit if he's wearing exactly that. So, fun day here on the show. Spring is coming early, Mayorkas is hopefully getting impeached, and Donald Trump was in Washington, D.C. this week, meeting with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, executive board for the first time since 2020, looking to whip, whip, whip up some endorsements from one of the largest labor unions in the world. As you heard right there, Joe Biden on CBS News, they alluded to the time that he went and stood with the United Auto Workers Union for 15 minutes and called that standing in solidarity with their strike. However, and we'll hear it a little bit later, the endorsement Joe Biden got from them came at the executive level, much like Donald Trump is trying to do today. The official endorsement 
But what usually is the case is, and, and more often than not, these guys allude to the fact that although the executive branch of the Teamsters or the United Auto Workers Unions will endorse presidential candidates on the Democrat side, it's their workforce, the millions and millions of car manufacturers and people who work in the Teamsters and the food and shipping industry who will be voting for Donald Trump in lieu of the endorsement that they get from the executive branch. So although optically it's a good one to throw a notch on the belt for in the big scheme of things, when it comes to the most important, I guess, currency, you could call it a vote. It's the workforce that usually determines what the endorsement really means. Donald Trump spoke with the executive branch of the Teamsters for a little over an hour. There were some photos taken and then he took some time afterwards to meet with the press And one of the first questions he was asked outside of things for policy-related items were, does he really think making the gesture of coming down to Washington, D.C. and and meeting with the executive branch of the Teamsters is going to, you know, equal an endorsement or help out in the general election next year? And let's hear what the 45th president had to say. Where we have a lot of unions. I've had great relationships with the unions. Uh, We're with Sean O'Brien, as you know, and Fred Zuckerman. And they're terrific people, great leaders, actually. And I think we had a very productive meeting. Stranger things have happened. Uh, <laughs> usually a Republican wouldn't get that endorsement for many, many years. They've, they only do Democrats. But in my case, it's different because I've employed thousands of Teamsters. And I thought we should come over and pay our respects. And uh, as you know, a big part of the voting bloc uh, votes for me, a very big part. Some people say more than 50 percent. Nobody knows what the exact number is, but some people say more than 50 percent of the Teamsters vote for me. So we had a very, very productive meeting, I think, with a lot of uh, Teamster representatives upstairs. Okay. 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 They also asked him a funny question because there was a a still image that kind of went viral last week after the ruling in the E. Jean Carroll case up in Manhattan, where apparently... You know, it looked like Donald Trump had those, what are they called, Noah, where they put the little needles into the top of your hand when you're getting treatments. Acupuncture? No. (laughs) Like when you're at the hospital. Oh, an IV? Yeah. And it showed like Donald Trump's hands might have had bruising from what looked like IVs on them. And when Donald Trump was done with this speaking event, I didn't pull the clip because it's kind of irrelevant, but I thought it was just weird that they asked him. You know, they said, hey, what's up with the what's up with the bruising on the top of your hand? Can you tell us anything about that? And he like stopped and turned around and he's like, where? And he like showed them both sides of his hands. And they're like, oh, when you walked out of court last week, it looked like you had bruisings on the top of your hands. Do you want to tell us about that? And he's like, well, look, here's the front and the back. And he goes, who knows? Maybe it was AI. And then he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. So, yeah, exactly. But um, it could have been fucking pen something. He was just writing. I hate the vagina lady on his hand over and over again. Maybe not in his hand, but, you know, inks, inks leak. $84 million fucking dollars. She'll never see a dime. That'll get tossed in appeals. She's not going to get to go on her shopping spree and buy Joy fucking douchebag her fucking shoes and stuff? Well, Randy Maddow needs a new house in France, apparently. <laughs> it was some of the weirdest commentary I ever yeah, heard. Yeah, so, it was so awkward, too. You know, uh, well, the, the way it looked as eugene carroll was talking about how she's going to lavishly spend all of this money and everybody just kind of got like and then her lawyer's like oh no no she's she's joking that's that's a joke in case you don't know her humor i don't know her humor but that's not generally what you would say yeah when asked about campaign related questions donald trump was quick to talk about the big month he had in january let's hear it 
I just want to say, though, uh, we had an incredible month. We beat in Iowa, knocked out the competition, and got the best vote percentage-wise, margin-wise, of any candidate that ever ran. And we went to New Hampshire. We got the most votes of anybody that ever ran, and the, actually the most votes. That's sort of like a home run record. Who had the most home runs? Who had the most hits? We got the <laughs> most votes of anybody that ever ran in the New Hampshire primary. So, I mean, we just had an incredible time. We're now focused on Nevada, which is next, and we think we're going to do there, get close to 100% of those votes. And then uh, we have the islands coming up, too, by the way. You know that. Don't forget that. Uh, that's uh, for about four delegates, but we have that coming up. And then we go to a place that's been very good to me, and I've been very good to them, in South Carolina. I think we're going to do great there. We see a poll today that we're like 40 points up. In fact, we actually went up over the last week or two, but right now. And we'll hear from some of the America First House representatives. Nancy Mason, Russell Fry were down in South Carolina yesterday with a large delegation of state-level officials campaigning for Donald Trump outside one of the courthouses there in the, in the state's capital, and we'll bring you some of those clips in our next edition of the show, focusing more on this one. And before we get into the next clip, guys, wherever you're listening today, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to the show. Hit the subscribe button. There's a little plus follow button. Make sure that every episode is downloading to your electronic device. Helps out the show big time. Massages the algorithms on the podcasting app. That means when you search political podcast or one similar to ours, we're presented more in the suggestions. Also helps us out in the Apple Top 100 if you're subscribed there, which we continue to probe onward and upward in every week. In addition, social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where you can find our accounts. Find them. Hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything we've got going on in the show, including our amazing usual guest lineup. We've already talked with Congressman Matt Gates and Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna today. We're going to be jumping in with Arizona Congressman Eli Crane at the end of this segment, which will round out the first of two all-new editions of the show today. The attack on U.S. forces in Jordan. You know, Donald Trump is the anti-war and peace-through-strength candidate. Was something that he was also asked about in the lobby of the Teamsters headquarters. And uh, today is the day that we're having the dignified transfer of the bodies back from the Middle East. And Joe Biden sleepily welcomed them back Hmm. at the airport today. I guess they really must have beat him in the limousine before they let him out because he, he didn't yawn, not off, or look at his watch when meeting with the families or having the caskets transferred from the playing to the vehicles that they would be carried to, I guess, the funeral homes in Washington, D.C., where they're going to be having services before they're laid to rest at Arlington in the near future. Let's hear 45 weigh in on just what he thought about the attacks and and Biden's foreign policy. It wouldn't have happened if I were in the White House. You would have never had this attack. You would have never had the attack on Israel. You would have never had the attack on Ukraine. Uh, You would not have inflation that was, you know, just is destroying our country. The inflation is so bad. Uh, the damage done already by inflation has been so bad. Uh, and while it may be down, you're still up 30 percent. Prices yep. are 30 percent higher than they were four years ago. True story. And uh, that's a bad thing. So you wouldn't have had any of that. But you wouldn't have had attacks on Israel. You wouldn't have had attacks on you wouldn't have had attacks, period. They weren't attacking. I knocked out ISIS. We we uh, took over 100% of the ISIS caliphate. That was it. We pulled our troops out. Nobody's done what I did, and you would have had no... 
no attacks, period. Mm-hmm. Which was definitely the case. Everybody from Salmani and Baghdadi to Abdul. Abdul. Knew exactly what was going to happen if they fucked around and found out from Donald Trump. And this is just another case of failed foreign policy. And even though some of the official terror groups in the region, like uh, Hezbollah-linked, which are Iranian-funded terror groups in Iraq, said, believe it or not, Noah, they're ceasing all, I guess, counterinsurgency measures against U.S. forces in the region because they don't want to have the current standing Iraqi government to incur any embarrassments. I guess getting droned by the Biden administration would be an embarrassment if they continue to take pot shots at U.S. servicemen and women in the region. Yeah, I mean, that should just be instant scorched earth for doing that kind of thing. Well, it's also been, I guess, released to the press over the course of the last few days that the drone that was used in the attack, it's confirmed now that it was built in Iran and is one of their more standard models. I still don't agree with the timeline that these terrorists were able to get so close to the base or have someone on the inside that was allowed to kind of predict when these drones left, when they would return, and what path they took to return that they could just sneak one of their own drones in behind it, split off at the last minute, and hit a barracks instead of landing on the airstrip. I don't buy that. Mm-mm. We we are the the makers and holders of the best military technology on the planet. And to think that that's all you need to do to infiltrate our our drone-based systems, it just doesn't sit well with me. Last clip I've got from Donald Trump talking in the lobby of the Teamsters headquarters from Wednesday was him commenting on the border amnesty bill that's currently being worked on by Langford, Schumer, the Biden White House, and Alejandro Mayorkas in the Senate. Obviously, Mitch McConnell's got his hands all over it, too, because he likes cheap labor and hates working on the immigration system. You know, it's not that Donald Trump is fighting just because of who's working on the bill. He's fighting to kill this in the House of Representatives by Republicans because this would turn into something that becomes law, which he would need to address either congressionally by getting it out of there with something as a replacement or executive ordering it out of existence, which is what we're trying to prevent from happening moving forward. It's what a lot of people said Joe Biden would do. He did do when he became the president of the United States. And now look at the mess it's created. Optically, it would solve a lot of the problems we would have on the border if Donald Trump came in and just wrote executive orders for everything. But if you're looking at long-term solutions, post another Trump term in office, we're definitely going to have to figure out how to get legislation passed that addresses all of the problems in the border, not just the illegal migrants crossing it at the moment. Let's hear Donald Trump talk about the amnesty bill. And you have the, you have the right to close up your border. You don't need bills that complicate it and make it to a level that nobody's going to be able to do it. And the minimum was 5,000 people a day, if that can be right. I, it's hard to believe that that can be right, but they were negotiating to allow 5,000 people a day? That's a tremendous amount. Nobody wants to have that happen to our country, and they're still not going to know where they're coming from. Right now, we have no idea who these people are that are pouring into our countries. Last night, I watched where they're beating up police officers in New York City, a gang of people that just came in that didn't speak English. Nobody knows who they are, where they come from. And very importantly, they come from, I can tell you, they come from jails and prisons. They come from mental mental institutions and insane asylums. And they're terrorists. They have a lot of terrorists coming, too. 
And we don't want them. I'm sorry. You know, so we had a very strong border. We did have a strong border. And, and you don't know, we, we, I went back and looked because one of the congressmen who's been on our show recently made a reference to Castro's Cuba. And during the times when people were trying to overthrow him in the early years of his dictatorship in Cuba. And one of the things about people leaving was some of these groups who wanted the political prisoners released from prison. Castro not only agreed with him, but let all the criminals out with them and sent all of those criminals with the political prisoners out of the country into the United States. Yeah, it's a, it's a win-win for them, not for us. So where you might have migrant families or people who are maybe genuinely escaping persecution in their home countries, although when you look at the numbers that have come across the border, those numbers are minuscule compared to just the economic migrants and people looking to suck the system dry here. Coming through the border now, you can't imagine places like third world shitholes like Venezuela, all those places in Europe and Africa where, you know, political wars are still being fought all the time. And uh, Russia, Ukraine, war criminals escaping that. And then the Chinese in, in such huge numbers over the course of the last couple of years getting over to South and Central America and making their way up to Mexico before legally crossing the United States and then being in the wind. It's ridiculous. And we saw a little taste of it this week. I think that was like on a scale of one to 10, probably like a three of how bad it could obviously be with people who are maybe criminals or now getting associated with gangs in New York, being able to do a lot worse than just beating up a cop. Well, yeah, you get five or six people or I mean, how many people was there? I saw the the compilation photo of all their mugshots or whatever it was. It was like, Five in the beginning, seven total have been charged. Yeah, so just imagine when it's not just seven people beating up a cop. Imagine when it's 40, 50, 60, 70 people. Taking over streets, robbing businesses, causing public disruptions. Yeah, taking over an entire neighborhood, taking Mm -hmm. over your home. Yeah, and there's been reports all throughout places like New York and Chicago where now migrants are knocking on the door and asking for help and food or money and then breaking into the house, like forcing themselves in. Yeah. There's also been rumors in in places just like that where migrants are like catching people in their driveways and saying like, there's now a fee to live in this neighborhood because they're providing protection from other people. It's like- We're (laughs) providing protection from the other migrants. It's wild. And and there's also uh, roving bands of thieves that are stealing shit in order to pay back their, their cartel smugglers. There was a carjacking in broad daylight in Midtown, Manhattan, the other day. It was caught on security camera. The guy was murdered at a traffic light. The car was stolen. They eventually caught the guy who was out on no cash bail for attempted murder. Mm. <laughs> you, you can't make this shit up. But sticking in this thread, and before we jump in with Congressman McClain, I got one left. Bob Cusack jumped on with Neil Cavuto yesterday to talk about the optics of Donald Trump meeting with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and their executive branch. What's it mean in the big scheme of things and what the workforce is going to be voting for in 2024? Let's check it out. And and union uh, bosses are saying, even if they're endorsing uh, Biden like UAW, that many of their members are going to be voting for Trump. So that's that's the trick there. How do they get uh, the rank and file to get behind them, the, the the presidents and the boards and the hierarchies. But listen, you know, I, I think this is I think this is because Trump has remade the, the Republican Party. And now it is a lot more amenable. And blue collar voters and union voters uh, are, are taking a look and, and they're not happy what they're getting from the other side of the aisle. 
can't make it a better statement than that one right there. How the United Auto Workers Union endorsed Joe Biden when his plan to kill gas-powered cars by like 2030 or 35 or even 50 baffles my mind. But when you talk about the tax breaks and how much money the executives of these auto manufacturers have made since Joe Biden took office, there's the there there. When he talks about Donald Trump's remaking of the Republican Party, where historically Republicans will come in, you'll get some kind of a moderate tax break that fizzles out after a while based off of the way the economy works and inflation being up and down and stuff. In addition to Donald Trump wants to save the domestic auto industry, bring it back in a lot of aspects and make sure that these union workers' jobs are protected for the next 25, 30, 40, 50 years. That's where you see the overwhelming majority of the workforce, regardless of who their corporate entities endorse, voting for Donald Trump come this November election. We're going to leave it at that and keep an eye on what the president's got going on on the campaign trail this weekend. In the meantime, we're getting ready to jump in with Arizona Congressman Eli Crane. But before we do, let's check in with one of our sponsors. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a congressman who's serving Arizona's 2nd Congressional District, one of our great friends, Representative Eli Crane. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Man, you guys have had a uh, marathon slash busy week up on Capitol Hill. It seems like whenever something seems like it's coming to a conclusion, but we have another breaking story coming out of Republican conference, a lot of stuff we want to talk with you about, and I think we want to get started with the impending impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. It seems like for all the things that Republicans haven't been able to get on the same page of this session, and although it had to go back to committee a couple times, it seems like there might be some unification when it comes to if we're not going to be able to hold the Department of Homeland Security uh, by the power of the purse, we're going to do it via the power of the policy or lack thereof when it comes to Alejandro Mayorkas looking for the impeachment vote early next week. How do you see this thing developing? Well, I, I'm a little disappointed it's taken this long. I know I speak for many Americans when I say that. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, with such a razor thin majority, we need to have everybody on board. That's taken much longer than many of us have wanted to do. And so, you know, we've been steadily building this case over the last year. You know, I think we've had close to 20 committee hearings about the southern border um, and just the dis complete disaster down there. And now I think we're we're ready to take a vote and actually execute and uh, impeach Secretary Mayorkas in the House. Now, when, when you hear a lot of commentary coming out, both from within Re Republican conference, definitely within, uh, you know, like the America First delegation, the Freedom Caucus, caucus etc that speaker johnson hasn't been as strong as a lot of people hoped he would have been on some policy things or, or bipartisan legislation and things of that nature do you think when it comes to getting this task done of holding alejandro Mayorkas accountable for the job that he hasn't done since he came in with joe biden back in 2021 this is this is something that could have you know for the rest of the session get the republican house going in the right direction 
Oh, I think this you know this will definitely be a win. I don't think it's anywhere close to uh, what we need to be doing, but it's definitely a win. And um, you know, unfortunately, this place is so screwed up, backwards, corrupt, and swampy. I mean, you know, you you have to you you got to take notice of even the small smallest wins. I don't think anybody believes that Mayorkas is going to be impeached in the Senate. But when we look at our options and what we're able to actually do to secure the southern border, which is the ultimate goal, I mean, we can pass H.R. 2, but if the Senate doesn't take it up, if President Biden won't you know, sign it, execute it, it doesn't really matter. Um, then, then we can try and use the power of the purse, but we don't have enough, in my opinion, strong, strong enough Republicans um, that are willing to use that kind of leverage. So that option's out the window. Now, what can we do? Okay, well, we can try and impeach Secretary Mayorkas, which some of us have been trying to do this entire this entire Congress. It's finally here, so we're going to do that. And we're going to keep, you know, using our platforms to, you know, shine a light, expose and message on this, you know, complete invasion on our southern border and the Americans that are suffering because of it. So um, those are really the only four things that, you know, that we can do. And, uh, you know, I wish we were more successful in the ultimate goal of securing the border. Um, you know, but, uh, once again, uh, we've been incapable to do what the American people, uh, deserve. Oh, you make some great points there. And, you know, when you look at our lineup of, of house Republicans who are joining us on the show today, yourself, Rep. Anna Paulina Luna, Matt Gates, Bob Good, Troy Nels. This is a lot of the people, not only in committee or, or when they do these hits on the news, but just in general have been familiarizing and showing the American public, pulling back that curtain and letting them see what's really going on on Capitol Hill. For as many as the struggles I think as the Republican House has had with the slim majority in this session of Congress, I do think you guys are setting the groundwork for to have some more successes in the future. Everything when it comes to like budgetary matters or or how it is identifying how much of the party really needs to actually act like Republicans. And you see things like that in like the bipartisan vote when we do a continuing resolution or, or the NDAA and stuff like that. So I mean, I, I'm sure someone who wants to like immediately get work done like yourself, Congressman, it, it, it has to be frustrating. We've heard it several times on the show, but there have been some bright spots and you've definitely been at the forefront of that. Well, thank you for saying that. And I, I didn't realize you had so many pipe hitters on the show today. I actually feel a little insignificant. You know, you got Luna, Gates, you know, good. You know, some of my 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 best homies up here. So I'm glad that uh, you continue to bring you know, quality onto your program, but you're right. I, I do struggle with the incrementalism, you know, the, uh, the slow progress, uh, because I do want to get things done in it. And, and I realize that, you know, um, maybe, maybe after my freshman term, I'll, I'll mature a little bit and, uh, <laughs> you know, start to play the long game a little bit better, but I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I'm here to represent the American people and, and they're frustrated and they don't want incrementalism. They don't want us to keep kicking the can down the road and, you know, fight another day. They want results now. And let's be honest. I mean, it's not like, it's not like the border's just been an issue in, in this year or last year. Sure. It's It's been an issue for a very long time. And uh, I think the American people have been more than patient. And uh, I mean, it's, I mean, you. We, how many times can we talk about the stats, right? Should we go over them again? You know, three hundred. You know, three hundred people on the terrorist watch list since Biden's taken office. He's got another nine months left. Over a hundred thousand people dying a year from fentanyl. Um, you know, families being destroyed by you know MS thirteen gang members coming over the southern border with their MS thirteen gang tattoos 
being allowed into the, you know, the, the, the heartland of the country. Just today, we had to, we actually had to, you know, uh, we had legislation on the floor. I believe it passed. It was my good friend, uh, Barry Moore, his piece of legislation, basically saying if a immigrant had multiple or DUIs on their record, um, you know, that they, they, they could be uh, deported. Right. I mean, it's just like this stuff is so common sense and basic, but once again, you know, this town is such such a disaster that, you know, e- even even that's a tough lift around here. And uh, that that's that's definitely why I'm why I'm frustrated. But I do appreciate, you know, a little of the optimism. And uh, I know many of my colleagues, um, you know, feel the same way. And so if if we are moving the needle, um, then, hey, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm never going to be I'm never going to be satisfied with you know, what we're doing right now. Cause I don't think it's even close to enough. No, it's, it's, it's the truth. And there's a lot of honesty in that, you know, but we just like that mentality that you bring to the table. We think that the culture is starting to change. You see it in a lot of people who are exiting Congress, who have been long-term congressmen and women. They just don't want to be in this everyday fight that you guys know that it's going to take to get the changes needed that the American people are demanding right now. And I think when people are starting to get, you know, I don't want to be doing this every single day, be on the news, getting questions about my votes, this, that, and the other thing. Those are all little pieces that I think are going to add to the bigger puzzle that's going to be leading towards success down the road. Now, you did mention disaster uh, just a few seconds ago. And when I think about that, I'm thinking about the Langford, Biden, Schumer, Mayorkas uh, immigration deal or whatever they're working on up there. Speaker Johnson said it's DOA in the House of Representatives as long as it allows more than zero people to come across the border illegally as part of any quota. Plus, there's a lot of uh, very vague amnesty uh, vocabulary in, in the intertwinings of parts of that bill that no one's seen, but that has been leaked to the press. How are you guys looking at this one right now? Oh, I think, you know, I think the the word you and I have both been using disaster is, is exactly um, descriptive of what the Senate is cooking up. I mean, it basically codifies the invasion on, on our Southern border. It basically it's waving the white flag as far as I'm concerned. And I'm, I'm embarrassed that this is coming from a Republican senator. And I think, uh, you know, people in the state of Oklahoma should, you know, feel the exact same way. Yeah, I think they do with the uh, censorship he's gotten from the Oklahoma GOP. And we feel that it's more than <laughs> fitting to say the very least. Uh, I do kind of want to switch gears here. I, I, there's something I want to, well, a few of the things that you're working on that I want to highlight specifically to give our listenership a little bit of taste of what you're doing outside of these pieces of legislation and uh, agreements that are going on right now. Recently, you wrote a letter to New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg about the situation surrounding Daniel Penny. Uh, he potentially saved the lives of people, uh, you know, in New York transit while someone who obviously was going through whatever was being verbally assaultive, threatening, and uh, had a long documented history of, of those kinds of behaviors and worse. Uh, can you tell our listenership a little bit about what went into that letter? Yeah, basically, here's the deal. You know, this uh, the, the news in this town and the news in this country and even globally moves so quickly now with 24 hour news cycles that it's so easy for a, a big story to break. And then, you know, six months ago, you know, six months later, nine months later, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's thinking about it. This is one of the reasons why we're writing a letter um, to the DA in uh, New York, Alvin Bragg about Daniel Penny, because we don't, we don't forget about Daniel Penny. 
Um, we're not forgetting about him. We want um, New York and uh, Alvin Bragg out there to know we haven't forgot about Daniel Penny. You know, we 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 and 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 on, honestly, we're uh, we're disgusted. You know, with the uh, you know the prosecution of Daniel Penny and how he's being treated. When uh, in in many ways, Mr. Penny acted as a hero, saving many people. You know, of all colors, all stripes on that you know, on on that. Uh, on that train in New York city, when this lunatic, you know, got on there and started threatening people, throwing, throwing his coat on the floor saying somebody's going to die today. And, uh, you know, Mr. Penny went up and restrained this individual. Now, is it tragic? Um, the outcome that, um, that this individual, um, passed? Absolutely. No, nobody's saying that it's not, but he's being charged for, I believe it's uh, second degree, uh, manslaughter. Yep. Um, you know, and, and we're we're not okay with that. We're going to make sure that uh, Mr. Bragg knows that we're watching this. Um, and Daniel Penny, um, you know, he's still in our thoughts and our prayers. He's on our mind, and and we're not going to let go of it. Yeah, it's it's you know you see a lot of cases like this. This one was highlighted obviously for a while in the news, and it's great to see that you know members up on the hill aren't forgetting about this because essentially this guy is a hero. You know, uh, who knows if someone just wanted to be like just about everybody else on the streets these days. I mean, we saw two New York police officers get assaulted the other day by four illegal migrants who were dumped in New York City, and before one of the officers who was assaulted could even get out of the hospital or the other one finished his report, all four of these illegal migrants were back out on the streets. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's like, it's almost like if you were watching a Batman movie or something, <laughs> Dan, you know, Daniel Penny would be like the her the hero in in the movie. Yeah, and this is what's happened. I mean, in places like New York, where you know they, you know, not only excuse these crimes, they rewrite the laws to where they're no longer crimes. But not only are citizens scared to death, the crime rates, you know, skyrocket, and then it, any good Samaritans like Daniel Penny you know, are afraid to lift a finger to help anybody because they know that um, that same justice system that has abandoned its citizens will then be weaponized against, you know, heroes like Daniel Penny. And it's 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 not OK. And it's why people are f fleeing out of New York. Yeah. And it's why when you see a lot of these videos where people are getting attacked or assaulted and, and you just think the first reaction is probably like, how is nobody stepping in? Cause this is the result of these lawless cities and these radical DAs that come in here and just, you know, empower the criminals and, and want the citizens to just live in fear. So that's just the kind of way it is right now. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, you also joined a bipartisan bill to codify the Office of Native American Affairs within the Small Business Administration. I think this is a pretty big deal and something our listenership would be excited to hear about. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, th this bill, it's a bipartisan bill. We passed it out of Small Business Committee. It's H.R. 7102, and it establishes an Office of Native American Affairs with Small Business Administration. You know, this, this office was already um, up and functioning. This just basically puts it into law as something that's going to be permanent. I represent, you know, close to half the tribes in Arizona. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they're some of the most impoverished people in the country. And so as a former entrepreneur myself, I'm well aware of um, how helpful entrepreneurship can be to uh, constituents I represent, but also, you know, families and communities 
um, within the nations that I represent. And so this is something that, you know, I want to continue to push entrepreneurship, small businesses, um, you know, with, within the tribes. And I think that uh, it's going to be really good for their economy, which is something that they, you know, definitely struggled with. And I'm glad that we were able to do it in a bipartisan way. We are as well. And then a quick follow-up to that, which brings it right back to your district where, where we're going to wrap with you today. You know, for us, we track you. We see a lot of the great work you're doing up on Capitol Hill. But whenever you guys get a chance to get off, you know, and get back home and, and be in district, a lot of the work that I see you doing is is trying to, you know, bring up and, and lift up and, and get these guys back to a sense of normalcy when it comes to, you mentioned the economic things, but just in, in kind of every aspect with the Native American community out in Arizona too. Can you tell our listenership real quick what that experience has been like? You know, I'm sure living in, in your district, you've gotten to, you know, be around these people for the entirety of the time you've been there but being able to work so closely with them and and learn all the stuff that's going on and and ways that they're going to have a better life i'm sure has been really awesome as as one of the things that has been the congressional experience for you yeah no thank you it's been a great experience for me um it's been eye-opening in many ways um and i'll I'll be honest we don't always you know we don't always agree with the tribes on everything i'm not regardless of which group that i'm working with in you know in the district you know, our job is to help everybody that we can. And we we try and do that without compromising our values and, and just what our goals are here. Um, that being said, when when we can't, when our values align and when our worldviews align, we do everything we can regardless of, you know, what, um, you know, what county they're in, you know, who, what, what people group they belong to. We don't really care. Our job is to, you know, do everything we can to help these folks. And so when you take you know, when you when you take the tribes in my district, and I told you they are some of the most impoverished people in the country. Sure. Um, you know, you can't help but you know sit down, break bread, talk with these people, and your heart goes out to them. They're great people, um, and uh, they share many of the values that a lot you know most Americans do. And so um, it's an honor to be able to represent them. I hope we can continue to, uh, you know, move the needle. And one of the greatest things about, um, you know, many of these tribal nations in uh, in Arizona is like a lot of conservatives, they they don't like um, heavy handed overreaching, you know, federal government. And uh, though they do rely on the federal government for, you know, quite a bit. And so, you know, there are many things that we're trying to, uh, you know, help them with. Uh, keeping the federal government out of, you know, out of their affairs and, uh, you know, just just really help boost them, you know, economically and anywhere else that we possibly can. And so it's it's a challenge, but, you know, it's it's also been a blessing. No, it, it certainly looks like it has been kind of watching it develop in real time. And I just thought that was an awesome component uh, to some of the work that you've been doing up there on Capitol Hill that transpires directly back to when you're in district. Congressman, we're going to leave it at that. We've got another show coming up here in just a second, but we're going to be uh, looking to get back with you at some point in the near future. We want to wish you the best and uh, hope you continue to do the great work up there. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you, where can they check you out? Uh, Rep Eli Crane on social media is, is a really good place. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you. This is the congressman representing Arizona, too. As you can tell, he's representing all of the America First people out there. This is Representative Eli Crane. Thanks for joining us on the show, and have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Guys, we're coming back with an all-new episode of Steak for Breakfast podcast, so sit back, relax, and allow us to continue to change the way you consume your news.